Boker Tov, and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shur on Dafyomi. We are now in Ketubot Daflamed Chet Amralef, a Mishnah, uh, the very short Mishnah Gimel, uh, and our Sugya will deal with the case of a Na'ara, so she fits the proper age, Shinit Arsavinit Garsha. She became betrothed as a Ktana, and then was divorced before being married, so she's still a Betula. And the question is whether she's still liable for knas. So basically, Omer in la knas. He says she's out of the the picture for knas. Kiva Omer yesh la knas or knas haleatzmar. Kiva says she gets knas, but unlike a girl who would never never betrothed, she would keep the knas. Now the Gemara immediately will address it. And please take a look at the psukim. We have uh, all four psukim that are central to the issue of onus mefata. The two psukim from Parshat Mishpatim and the two psukim from Parshat Kitetze. And then there's a, a third pasuk there uh, from Tehillim, which we'll deal with later. Maitam Rabbi Yosei Aglili. So why does Rabbi Yosei Aglili, whose position is really the very easy one, why does he say that such a girl does not get kanas at all? The very simple, the simple answer is, I'm a cross, Rasa. If a man grabs a girl who was not betrothed, Ha'orasa, so the implication is once she was betrothed, and Lakanat, she's out of the picture. So his position is easy. Rabbi Akiva's got the more difficult position. Rabbi Akiva says, Asher Rasa Liaviha, meaning the text says, Venatan Laviha Na'ara, so that you're going to give the money to the father. So Asher Rasa then becomes not a condition in where does this halacha apply, but in what case does it go to the father? If she was never betrothed, it goes to the father. Ha'orasa, if she was betrothed, and it goes latzma. Now this is obviously opening up a Pandora's box, because then you could say that every term that defines this girl would be a term not that defines the uh, qual- the qualifications that put you into the into the per- perimeter of the um, of knas, but rather in what cases it goes to the father. So we challenge the na'ara. She's going to say when the Torah says that it, only if she's a na'ara, this applies. That means only if she's a na'ara, it goes to the father. But if she's a bogeret, it's still kanas that it goes to her, which is not unreasonable. Betula v'lobe'ula. Again, when it says a betula, which, which removes, of course, a be'ula, as we saw in the last Mishnah. Hachinami delatzma. She's going to say that if she was somebody who had already had relations... So then you could go further and say a girl who was married and who was uh, divorced and uh, who in, the, in her 20s had uh, a, a consensual relations with someone, the guy has to pay her kanas. This uh, already um, already becomes a little bit incredible. Ella legamre. So legamre means that asherlo orasa means that if she was never betrothed, she gets kanas. If not, she's out of the picture of legamre. Hachanamri legamre. So just like bitula is a full exclusion. Na'ara is a full exclusion. Ashar Ras is a full exclusion. That's what Yosei Aglili. Amalachar Rabbi Akiva. So this is what Rabbi Akiva would answer. Hailo Orasa mi lichritanya. In other words, according to this uh, this analysis, Rabbi Akiva agrees that Ashar Rasa should be read that way. So he says that we need it for a different purpose, which is the following brayta. Ashar Rasa probably na'ara shenarsim gasha she'en la'knas Rabbi Yosei Aglili. Repetition of our Mishnah. And I'll notice this, Rabbi Akiva says that a girl who was betrothed and divorced, never married, and is a na'ara, um, has knas, and the knas goes to her father, meaning that her being engaged did nothing, didn't change anything, according to the Brita. In the Mishnah, it did, it changed who's the recipient of the knas. Now, and Rabbi Akiva says that reason dictates 
that she should get the knas, that the knas should go to her father. After all, the father, when she's in Ara, even if she was already betrothed and divorced, still is the one who gets to marry her off and to get the Kesef Kiddushin, and he's also the one who keeps the knas. So just like in a normal case, the father is the one who gets the Kesef Kiddushin, and that holds true even if she was betrothed and divorced before she got married, she's still a na'ara, goes to her father. Same thing with Kesef Knas. Just like the Knas would normally go to the father, similarly, her being betrothed and divorced in the meantime does not change anything and it still goes to the father. But that means according to the Breita, Rabbi Akiva is absolutely ignoring Asherlo Arasa as defining anything about the Knas. Now, in Kain Maltam Allah Asherlo Arasa, so according to Rabbi Akiva, what does Asherlo Arasa do? Mufna, the answer is it's a totally extra phrase. And it's extra for what purpose? Meaning, it's going to be, it's going to be the vehicle for a Gzerashava that will now go in both ways. Because, Namarkan Asherlo Rasa, in either one, um, let's say in Dvarim, it says Asherlo Rasa, Rasa, and it says the same phrase in Shmot. Now notice, and this is critical, in Shmot, the, uh, the Pasuk tells us, Kesef meaning shkalim, but then tells how much. In Dvarim, it says, chamishim kesef. It tells us 50 silver, but it doesn't say 50 silver how much, 50 silver what. So in other words, from Shmot, we find out that it's shkalim, and from Dvarim, we find out that it's 50. So Rabbi Kiva says that, that, that the Asherla Orasa becomes extra, so that we have a Gzera Shava from Shmot to Dvarim to go in both directions. Ma'kan chamishim, just like in Tvarim it's 50. Aflalan chamishim, so in Shmot it's 50. Umalahalan shkalim, and just like in Shmot it's shkalim, afkan shkalim. Good. So that means that according to Rabbi Akiva, Sherla Orasa is absolutely irrelevant. The fact that she was betrothed, not betrothed, doesn't matter. If right now, when the event happens, she's a Na'arab betulah who presently is not betrothed, this halacha applies, and the money goes to the father, and a Sherla Orasa is simply put in there in order to create a, a reciprocal relationship with the case of Pitui. Now, Rabbi Akiva, my chazita, Sherla Orasa, l'gzara shara, betulah l'mute be'ula. Think about it. We've got betula in both cases. We've got Asher Rasa in both cases. So why are you reading Asher Rasa as the extra phrase that's there to connect the two? And betula is exclusionary, saying betula not betula. Why don't you read it the other way? Ema betula lekzerashava. Why don't you have the two ca- the two fr- uh, instances of betula, one in Shmot and one in Dvarim, as the gzerashava? Asher Rasa probably narashin tarsinit garsha, and have Asher Rasa. Be just like Rabbi Yosei says, to exclude a girl who was once betrothed. Why doesn't Rabbi Kiva do that? The answer is Mistabra, in other words, every, we seem to agree that at least for Rabbi Akiva's purposes, we're going to need one of those phrases to create the Xerashava. But why do you pick Asherlo Rasa and therefore disregard her intervening, um, uh, Erusin, which were dissolved before this happened? Why don't you say that Betulah is there for that? And Asherlo Rasa will then mean that the intervening Erusin are meaningful. He says, Mistam Rashelo Rasa Lugzera Shava. It makes sense that Asherlo Rasa is the one for the Gzera Shava. Sha'are Anikoreba Na'arabitula. Because after all, I can still call her Na'arabitula. Adaraba, Bitula Lugzera Shava. The Hefech, I should say Bitula is extra. Sha'are Anikoreba, Asherlo Rasa. Because after all, then I can refer to each girl as Asherlo Rasa. 
In other words, it's meaningful. Right? <clears throat> the answer is, um, because a na'ara, who becomes a bogeret, a betula, who becomes a bula, has physically changed. Therefore, there is a more reason to take that as being germane to the text itself and to define the characteristics that allow you to be involved. As Cheryl Ross saw, there's no physical change. She got Kesef Kedushin, then she got a get. Nothing physically happened to her. She was never married. She did not age. She did not change from being a Na'aratu Betulan to a Boger in the meantime. And therefore, there's less reason to see her intervening Erusin as being meaningful as opposed to being a Bula. Now, that's Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Yosei Aglili, Haik So now, Rabbi Kiva has a good point, which is we need to know that you pay 50 in both cases, and we need to know that you pay Shkalim in both cases. And Rabbi Akiva used Asher Lorasa for Xerah Shava. Where's Rabbi Yosei Aglili going to get that information from? This we saw back in uh, the first parak. Kesef Yishkol Kamar Habitulot, which is mentioned in Shmot, in the case of Pitui, does not give us an amount, but it says he should pay Shkalim as is the normal payment for Betulot. What does that tell you? Shezeh Kamar Habitulot, Tumar Habitulot Kazeh, meaning that the other instance in the Torah, he's not mentioning it for Ketubah Doraita, like Gamaliel did, but rather he's saying like the other instance in the Torah where you pay for a Betula, which is the case of Ones, should be like this one, and this one should be like that one. So just like here it's Shkalim, there it's Shkalim. Just like there it's 50, here it's 50. In other words, he doesn't have Xerah Shavah. He has one single Pasuk that's sort of a lightning rod, connects it to the case of Ones in both directions. It, it, it has the same effect as Xerah Shavah without needing a Pasuk on the other side. Now, that's Rabbi Yosei Glili. The problem is, as I pointed out, that the Mishnah states that Rabbi Akiva's opinion was that such a girl has a knas, but something has changed, the knas goes to her. According to the Brita, nothing's changed, the knas still goes to her father, which means that Asherlo Arasa is absolutely being ignored by the Brita, by Rabbi, Kiva's ver- by Rabbi Kiva as reported in the Brita. He's absolutely ignoring Asherlo Arasa within the context of the text itself, and it's only being used for the Gzeirah So, Kash Rabbi Kiva to Rabbi Akiva, the answer is Tretanoi Valibar Rabbi Kiva. There's two versions of Rabbi Kiva. So now, Bishlam Rabbi Kiva Demantniti, and I understand Rabbi Kiva in the Mishnah, Lo Atik Zerashav Mafkale the Krum Pashta the Gamre. The Zerashava is not coming and totally being ignored as far as its local meaning. Meaning, the Zerashava is there to establish a Shelo Rasa in both cases, 50 and Shkalim, but it also does contain some local impact, which is to say, now that she was betrothed once, the Knas will go to her, as opposed to her father. Right, El Rabakiva the Brita, but the Rabakiva's report on the Brita, I take Zerashav Mafkal Mishpashta the Gamre, and that's why I put a question mark and exclamation mark afterwards. It's quite remarkable to think that the Zerashava is so significant that we're now going to ignore the words within their context and say Asherlo Rasa means nothing. If she was betrothed, was never betrothed, all the same, Kesef goes to her father. Very strange. So, Menachem Yitzchak, Kari Be Asherlo Arusa. So he says, don't read Asherlo Arasa. Imagine as if the text says Asherlo Arusa meaning a girl who is not betrothed, meaning a girl who is not betrothed at the time, that's what it means. But if she is betrothed at the time, then she's not in the Parsha of Knas. But that's very strange. Arusa Batskilahi, we're talking about. Why would you think that a girl who is betrothed at the time, that she has consensual relations with another man, would get a Knas? After all, she's going to be killed. So that's, that's, that's uh, adultery. The answer is, Since the knas is a chidush, and it's something we saw in the previous, in, in the earlier sugya, 
Even though she's going to be killed, maybe she still gets the knas, which of course will go to her estate, um, because of the chidush of the knas. Now the problem is, remember Rabba's position is that when you are executed for something, you still pay, or would, would, would still receive, in this case, but you still pay the knas, like Arba v'chamisha. We saw Rabba's uh, example that if you um, if you kill uh, stole an animal on Thursday and then you shechted it on Shabbos, even though you're going to be chayav mitah for shechita b'Shabbos, you'd still pay Arba v'chamisha because of the knas. So the same thing here, according to Rabba, if the girl is betrothed, following this reasoning, if the girl is betrothed now, the man who had relations with her, who's going to die for adultery, will also have to still pay the knas. So in that case, um, how is he going to answer the the phrase Asherlo Arusa? Because according to that, even in that case, he should pay the kanas. Um, so, uh, so we answer Michael Nemes of Alaka Rabbi Kiva. The answer is that Rabbi would have to read Rabbi Kiva's version in the Mishnah as the true re- reading of Rabbi Kiva. In other words, Rabbi could never tolerate Rabbi Kiva's position as reported in the Brita because then. Asherlo Arusa is being totally ignored. He can't then read it like Rachma Yitzchak uh, in, in, suggests that Rabbi Kiva and the Brita, the version of Rabbi Kiva is reported in the Brita, is reading it, which is Asherlo Arusa, because according to Rabbah, that really wouldn't be the truth, because even though she was being killed, he was being killed for adultery, he would still pay. Uh, so therefore, he must must read it like Rabbi Akiva of the Mishnah that Asherlo Asherlo Orasa that she was never betrothed is a meaningful phrase because if she was never betrothed, then the full parsha plays out and the money is paid to her father. If she was ne- if she was betrothed, then the parsha plays out, but with a slight difference, the money goes to her. Good. Tanara Bonan, and we have a brayta that supports the uh, two versions of Rabbi Akiva that we have. Kanasalami. Meaning, kasa, the kanas of a girl who was betrothed and then uh, divorced. So two versions in the Brayta. Why does she get it? So that's the case. We're talking about a girl who was betrothed. And the two, ver- the two opinions in the Brayta are the two opinions that we have as reported of Rabbi Kiva, the Mishnah versus the Brayta. Good. Okay, the last piece we're going to take a look at this morning is... <coughs> Um, something that was we referred to in the first sugya, which was the the uh, case where a girl is nansa, and then before the case comes to the Beit Din, she dies. Not necessarily from that, but she dies. Right? But Abayah sees it as a straight up case. In that case, there's a, there there there's no knas paid. The man pays the money to the father of the naara. Meaning, she has to be alive at the time, not to the father of a dead girl. Now, which seems that that which Abaye saw as very simple and straightforward was something that Rava was not sure about. Dubai Rava, because Rava asked the following: Yish beggar bekever ain't beggar bekever. Literally, literally, what that means is: Does a person mature in the grave? Meaning that, in the way we're reading the case now, is let's say that a girl was Nansa. And she died. And then, before the case, the case came to court, the time elapsed that had she been alive, she would have already become a Bulgarit, as we will see soon. Na'aru to six months. So let's say she was a Na'ara for five months already, and the guy raped her. And then uh, she died two weeks later. 
and the court case didn't come to court for another three weeks. So she would have been in Bulgaria if she was alive, if she were alive. However, she died in the meantime. So Rav is asking the question, is there maturity, or does the time lapse continue, and then she becomes a Bulgarian? And what would be the implication of that, according to this read of Rava? Yesh Meaning, a Bogaret, we know, would get the money herself. In other words, if a girl was Nansa, and before the case came to court, she matured and became a Bogaret, the money would go to her. Money doesn't go to her father anymore. So in this case, the question is, if she became a Bogaret, then would the money go to her son? Now, what son is that? The only way it could be is if it's a son from that particular instance of the rape, because before, and she had to have been a Betulat. The other side of it is that there is no such thing. The minute you die, that's kind of the end, and we don't consider time lapsing as being meaningful vis-a-vis you. And therefore, it continues to be the father's. So parenthetically say, that's, the whole thing doesn't make sense. The whole case doesn't work. Because first of all, since when could a girl become pregnant like that? Famous sugi, we've seen it twice in Yivamot. There are three, according to mayor, there are three women who are allowed to use birth control. It's kind of moch um, insertion. The one we care about is a ketana. A girl underage, one who's pregnant, and one who's uh, nursing. Because a ketana, we're concerned if she becomes pregnant, she will die. That's the assumption at this point. It's not good for the fetus. One who's nursing, perhaps she'll wean her child, and that's dangerous. All right, now, again, our concern is ketana. So this is all Reb Meir, who says, and when do I say that a Ketana can use a Moch? Between 11 and 12. Before 11, she'll never get pregnant. After 12, she can become pregnant, and it's, and she, and it's, it's healthy. Um, and, and, and she'll be able to live. The Chachomimom, and they disagree, and they say, any one of them, they continue to have regular relations. And if they're, you know, the God will protect the fools who are who are doing these dangerous things. As we saw in the last pasuk on the page, Hashem takes care of fools. In other words, it's not a smart idea to engage in relations when you're in that status or that age. But God will watch you, protect you. Where there's supplies is an interesting halachic discussion. Uh, the principle of Shemar Ptayim, but not, uh, not part of this form. Now, the, what the implication is, though, is that it's impossible for a Ketana to give birth, to become, to conceive, and to live through it. So either she's going to conceive and then die from that, or she won't be able to conceive. So how could you have this girl who died and then has a son around to possibly bequeath the cost to him? So you want to suggest that maybe she became impregnated as a Na'ara and then gave birth as a Na'ara and then died before she ended becoming a Na'ara. And the question is whether the time lapse now continues, the clock continues to tick and we consider a Bogaret and now the child will get the, the, the inheritance. But since when can you give birth in six months? Shmuel has a principle that Narut is six months long. Maybe Shmuel meant that there's never less than six months, but maybe it could be longer than six months. And remember, we're going to look for some new simanim that'll say she's not, you know, six months is not the defining time, but the minimal time. Uh, but Shmuel said, There is no 
the 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 only difference in Narut Bagrut is six months, which means not less, not more. Uh So the answer is that we did not read Rava's question correctly. Rava, when he asked Beggar Bekever, was not asking if a girl gave birth and then died before she became a Na'ara, would the Knas go to the kid? Ella Yesh Beggar Bekever Pakaav. The question is, do we consider that if she was Nansa, forget about any kid being born, she was Nansa, and then she died, and then the ca- the case comes at a time that she would have been a Bulgarian had she lived. Do we say the father is now out of the picture? Do we say when you die, that's the end of your clock ticking? Sorry for the uh, illusion, but uh, that, that, that the clock does not continue to tick, and whatever age you died at, that's it. And even if the case comes two years later, you're still considered Nara, and the father gets the money. That's the question. He asked it a little bit differently. Does death automatically generate Bagrut? Which means... Do we say that if, let's say, a girl, this is a different question, if a girl was uh, Na'ara for three months, was Nansa, and two weeks later she died, do we say that that immediately the father is out of the picture because her death or Matt automatically generates Bagrut, and then, therefore, if the case came after she died, there would be no payment at all? Or do we say, no, that there's still a six-month period from the minute she became a Na'ara, even if some of that time is after she died, which, by the way, is Abaya's point, Vlola Viameta. And the answer to all of this is teku. The answer to all of this is there's no answer. But Abaya saw it as a very simple thing. If the girl dies, there's no knas at all. Now, so Rava turns to Abaya and asks him the following. What if the, there was onus? And after the onus, she accepted Erisin from another person. Meaning, is there still knas? It doesn't say uh, that he has to pay the father of the girl who is not presently betrothed. It doesn't say that. It says a girl who was not betrothed at the time. Uh, then I'm going to ask you, it says in the, uh, in, in the Brita that if the girl after Ones becomes married, she gets the knas. It doesn't say, so why doesn't the father get the knas? So Abai answers very simply. He says, let's examine it. Just like Bagru takes her fully out of the father's domain, as does marriage. Just like in the case of Bagrut, if the onus happens and she becomes a Bogaret, and then the Knas is paid, it goes to her. Same thing, if she becomes married at the age of uh, 12, uh, then the money will go to her. Just because marriage, just like Bagrut, takes her totally out of the father's domain. But Erison does not fully take you out of the father's domain. And here we have the fallback position, which is used throughout Shas to demonstrate that Erison does not fully remove her from the father. Because of the Mishnah, the beginning of the 10th parak of Nadarim, that if a Na'ara is betrothed, her father and her husband, or husband-to-be, have to cooperate in repudiating her vows, which, if she were married, would be the husband's domain, and if she was just a Na'ara, a single Na'ara at home, would be the father's domain. So the father is not fully removed from from a purview over the girl until marriage. And therefore, Abayah says to Rava, if an onus happens, and before the case comes to court, she accepts Erosin from somebody else, Things haven't changed, and the knas goes to her father. If, on the other hand, she became married, that would be the same thing as her becoming a Bulgarit, and then the knas would come to her. Okay, Baruch Hashem, we've completed until this Mishnah, and in the next podcast we will pick up at this point. Everybody should have a wonderful day.